Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 71 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast. I bring you in-depth big-name interviews every Monday, just like this one, and short four- or five-minute daily episodes released Tuesday through Sunday, looking back on an event on that day in rock history. It's a show I call This Day Rocks, and it features big-name interviews and contributions from journalists, podcasters, and fans too. Make sure to hit subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod to make sure you don't miss any further episodes. Right, on to today's guest then. Well, he was called a guitar god by founder of Mr. Big, Paul Gilbert, while Metallica's Kirk Hammett cited him as one of his favourite guitarists of all time. High praise indeed. Born in Toronto, Canada, he quickly realised that music was for him after seeing Jimi Hendrix live as a 12-year-old, and the guitar beckoned. As you'll hear in this interview, he then headed to the UK to kick his career into gear, a career that's lasted almost half a century and still going strong. He's one of the hardest touring rockers and has recently released a brand new album too. Now his band have included some great names like Tommy Aldridge and Nico McBrain of Iron Maiden, Carmina Peace, Pat Thrall, Clive Edwards of UFO, Sandy Gennaro and many others too. So I'm looking forward to you hearing my chat with Pat Travers. Now we go into those early days when he moved to London to find fame. It was tough and the musical landscape shifted dramatically not long afterwards too. We talk about the real breakthrough radio hit which came out of the blue, the fun story behind one of his great tracks and much more as well. So please do enjoy my chat with the great Pat Travers. So the uh, the brand new album then, Pat, The Art of Time Travel, it's out now. It's a, a real return to the big, beefy, muscular guitar sound of the late 70s. And it opens with the title track. It just kind of, it grabs you straight away. It kicks you in the nuts. It slaps you in the face. And it, <laughs> it lets you know exactly what you're in for right from the off, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, that was one of the very first songs that I wrote for the project. And I think it kind of, you know, gave me... a a direction lyrically to go through the rest of the songs I wrote. And uh, yeah, it's powerful. We love playing it live. It goes down great. And of course, my wife, Monica, did the backing vocals on that. They sound awesome. So yeah, we're really pleased with yeah, that. Absolutely, absolutely. In terms of the sound then, the fact that it is big, uh, in-your-face guitar with energy and power, is that is that what you, you were aiming for for this record? Oh, absolutely. We used to have a phrase back when everything was vinyl. It jumps out <laughs> of the grooves, you know, and uh, that's what I tried to do. It's not easy sometimes to get it to do that. You kind of just have to. Uh, well, I got such a great band and 
We just had a lot of time because we started the album at the beginning of the pandemic and we had just lost every show we had for over a year. So I just decided I was going to focus and make the very best album I could, you know, in every way. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned lockdown there and the COVID and the pandemic. And there's a song on there, Breaking Up in Lockdown. It's a fascinating idea for a song, uh, lockdown inspired, obviously. What made you write something like that? Um, You know, it was in the news, couples or people that were shut in, you know, figured out they didn't really like each other all that much. Totally unlike my own home where I I was fine not to have to go anywhere. I love hanging out with my missus, and that's cool with me. But I, it, it kind of fascinated me to be in that position where you're just stuck with somebody, and there's, like, this tension, and there's nowhere to go, you know. So I tried to resolve it, though, yep. at the end. and Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's a, it's a great track, absolutely. Another great track on there Thank is uh, Ronnie, which was uh, a tribute written for, for your good friend, Ronnie Montrose, obviously. Now, talk to me about the track. Talk yeah. to me about your friendship with him. Talk to me about where did you meet him, that kind of thing. Uh, I, you know, of course, the Montrose album came out, I guess, in the early 70s. And it was, it was kind of like... Uh, uh, the Bay Area's answer to Led Zeppelin, yep. in a way, you know. So that was cool. And But I did, I saw Ronnie for the first time. He was playing guitar for Edgar Winter, and this was in Ottawa. I was about 17, and he just was so badass. He just had this confident, aggressive stance, and his eyes were just, you know, intense and and uh, when it was solo time, he just charged forward and got right in. So that that really inspired me, and, and I, I kept a lot of that uh, throughout my life, and even still today, you know. We did a show, uh, not with Montrose, but with uh, Gamma. That was it, Gamma. You had Steve Smith on drums, and but they had to go on before us on that show. And apparently, Ronnie was like, well, who the F is this guy? <laughs> I never heard of this bum. <laughs> so there was, there was a little tension, but, it, you know, it was okay. And then some years later, he was playing here in Orlando, where I live. And uh, so I went out in the afternoon to see if I could meet him at Soundcheck. And he was sitting in uh, the back of a U-Haul truck with a beer. And I went, hey, Ronnie, I'm Pat Travers. And he went, hey, man. And we just, it was just immediate friendship. And, you know, we had the same sense of humor. So I'd see him from time to time. We'd be on the same bill and occasionally I'd get up and do Bad Motor Scooter with him, you know, and that was always fun. But we talked on the phone a lot, and, uh, you know, he was a good friend. Ronnie had a lot of great friends. He just didn't have a friend around when he really needed one, you know. But anyway, uh, I was, it was at the beginning of writing the songs. It was about two o'clock in the morning. I was getting ready to go to bed 
but I had my XM serious favorites thing up on my laptop. And I just happened to spot live Ronnie Montrose or live Montrose rock candy. And uh, it was so good. And I just right then and there, I went, you know, I'm, I'm going to write a tribute to my buddy here. And I came up with that song within the next like half an hour. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just I, <laughs> I remember I was out there and I, I had to have my phone because I wanted to remember it. So I just put it in video and threw the phone down and played on my guitar, which wasn't even plugged in, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but yeah, that song came out really good. And uh, uh, once again, I think the backing vocals on that really give it some emotion, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Lovely stories, lovely stories. Now, something I like to ask everybody, it puts you on the spot. What's what's your favorite song on the album then? Wow. Um, yeah, I like them all. Uh, we <laughs> really tried not to have any weak tunes, so that every tune yeah. would be strong. I think uh, Over and Over is great. Move On is tons of fun. Uh, no Worries. Uh, yeah, all of them, Art of Time Travel, Ronnie, they're all real good. And, uh, yeah, well, I, I would love to be able to play all those tunes live, and <laughs> maybe we will here in a year or so, yeah. Fantastic. I'm glad that you mentioned over and over. For, for me, the last couple of minutes of that song is just oh, one yeah. of the highlights of the album for yeah. me. Your guitar work on that is just terrific. Yeah, it gets a crescendo there. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that's and it's big. Yeah, musically, there's some transitions that just really go off the chart. Yes, indeed, it's fantastic. Now, in terms of the album itself, I'm, I'm guessing we can stream it in the usual places. But if we want to get hold of a, a physical copy, I don't know, a nice vinyl piece or a CD or something like that, what's the best way of getting hold of that, Pat? Uh, either Amazon or you can get it from Cleopatra. I imagine you can get it anywhere that they sell cds and vinyl and, and uh, the vinyl is great because it's a it's a gatefold and all the lyrics and are, are in there and the production credits and uh, all that stuff so if you actually get a chance to play the vinyl you can sit there like we used to and listen and yes. read along yes. you know divine all the production credits yeah Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. Now we're talking about the art of time travel. Um, we're going to do that slightly ourselves now and go back to the mid-70s because the kind of the start of your career, you came to, to the UK, didn't you? You had parents yeah. on this side of the pond. Um, yeah. So so tell us about that then. You, you're moving over to, to London and, and things like that. What brought you here? Well, you know, I started playing professionally when I was very young, 14, 15. And... Uh, once and I, as soon as I turned 16, I, I left school. So I was all in on, you know, playing music. And that was going to be my life. But in Canada at the time, there really was not much encouragement to play original music. They wanted you to be the human jukebox and you were judged by how close you sounded to Carlos Santana or Eric Clapton or, and I just went, I, you know, I never sat down 
and learn solos note for note. I just tried to absorb the style and then do my own thing. So after about five years, I was just turned 21 and uh, or about to turn 21. And I just thought, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I need to go somewhere where, you know, they appreciate original music more than people doing the hits. And that's definitely the UK. It's so hard to play in the UK as a, you know, a full-time musician. They're really the only way you're going to make it is to create your own music. So I think that's one of the reasons why the UK, they had no radio. They still don't have any freaking radio, you know? <laughs> and uh, they had one rock and roll show on Sundays with, uh, what was his name? Uh, Hello, music lovers. Uh, John Peel, yeah. John Peel, yeah. sorry. And that was about it on BBC. Yeah. Now they had, I guess, Capital Radio in London, but that was, you know, it was a pop kind stuff. of a joke, yeah. pop thing. Yeah. So, yeah, bands had to work really hard and be very committed because there wasn't going to be any money. You know, so money was not the motivating factor. It was always, we got to come up with something original and cool and build up a fan base, you know. So I always thought that that was a reason why music from the UK has just always been outstanding. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Now you talk about original and new, and you came over, as we said, kind of mid 70s, was it 76 or something like that? Yeah. And, I, and I, you I, kind of hit just around the punk kind of feel. <laughs> what, what did you make of the UK at that time, then? Uh, yeah, I came in May of 75 and, you know, farted around for the first three or four months trying to figure out what to do <laughs> and uh i made a demo yeah and then i had no management no nothing i just would get the phone numbers of the record companies and the a and r guys and get them on the phone <laughs> and say me. hey i'm here <laughs> i got a tape i want you to hear and they go oh, well just submit it and i went no nah, i don't want to do that you know so I got rejected a lot, but that's okay. I went to about six different record companies and then finally uh, uh, Polygram or Phonogram at the time gave me a little record deal. But uh, once I got management, we shifted to Polydor, which was a much bigger, better label. And for me, it was thrilling because... Hendrix had been on that label, who uh, so many great artists, you know. So that worked out really good for me. And I'm sure you know, Sensational Alex Harvey Band. And that was our first big tour when our first album came out. And that was great because we played all the theaters, the Apollo, and uh, everywhere, all over the UK. And we had a great crowd, and, and Alex and all the guys in the band were just wonderful. And I learned so much uh, kind of stagecraft and thing from those guys, you know. So that was wonderful. But then shortly after, the whole kind of punk thing happened. And I, I just found it to be 
<laughs> you know, it, it wasn't very good quality. <laughs> and sure, I get the energy and stuff, but take a little time to learn how to play freaking guitar, you know? <laughs> and uh, like I go see uh, uh, Joe Strummer and the 101ers, and they're just doing old rock and roll, you know? This was before the clash. And uh, I remember seeing them at the Nashville rooms and just going, well, this is the same crap I played in Canada, you know, because that's what we would do. But, uh, and it was difficult. Uh, All of the NME melody maker music, all that stuff, they didn't want to know about long hair rock anymore. And it was all punk and all, you know, all these new journalists who were punks. And so it was frustrating in a way. But fortunately for us in the U.S., we were selling records as imports in like Texas and Chicago and the Bay Area, Boston, Florida. So the record company in the United States wasn't happy about that. So they ended up, the managing director, Polydor, Freddie Hine, crazy Dutch guy, he got promoted (laughs) to uh, Phonogram USA. So he took us there and we signed a new deal and it was a much better deal. And then I moved to the U.S. at that point, 78, you know, because we were just kind of banging our heads against the wall in the U.K. It was... I mean, uh, it's kind of home for me. You know, I lived there for a while. And of course, my parents were, uh, my mom was English. My dad was Irish. And so I had, you know, that whole cultural thing. But I uh, had to move on. Had to move on indeed. And and the next thing for us to move on to is, is the live album, which kind of blew you up absolutely huge. It made you massive, didn't it? Go for what you know. I mean, um. I heard you say a story about how this was recorded, obviously on tour, but it was almost released as, as a placeholder, wasn't it? It was to buy you a bit of time to go into the studio to record another album or write something new, wasn't it? That was it, exactly. We had been touring for probably five months and mm. I needed a break because we'd done four albums in two or three years and I wanted to have some time to work on the new material. So we had uh, part of the agreement was a live album. So we recorded the last four or five songs on uh, mostly in Florida. And uh, we just took one show, the Gainesville, Florida show. And But Boom Boom came from Orlando. But this was before I even lived here. That was just a fluke. <laughs> and uh, so uh, Tom Allen, uh, who produced sabbath and judas priest and he worked on that with me but i pretty much just let him do his thing because the last thing i wanted to hear was the same music i've been playing for five months so (laughs) we were i was living in coconut grove in south florida and bayshore studios was just down the street so we mixed there and I spent most of my time up on the roof sipping champagne. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Honestly. Here's me in the Highlands of Scotland, and you're talking about Coconut Grove of Florida. I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
So, yeah, I mean, I started to just work on new material, and then all of a sudden they said, hey, you got a big radio hit with Boom Boom Malco the Lights. You need to tour. <laughs> I got ah, shit. So <laughs> here we are back out on the road. But it kind of worked out. I liked it because it meant I wasn't working on the whole album all at once. I was mm-hmm. just working on two or three songs at a time. And that's pretty much what I got to do on uh, The Art of Time Travel, where it yes. wasn't the whole, you know, you're not looking at 10 songs and just two or three, making them good, and then moving on, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Ensuring the qualities there, definitely. Yeah. Um, and one more, one more song, if you don't mind uh, talking about it. We like to hear the stories behind the big songs here on Vintage Rock Pod. And Snorting Whiskey, Drinking Cocaine, <laughs> it's a fantastic line. It's a great lyric. And it was inspired by, <laughs> was it Pat Thrall running late yeah. or something like that? Exactly. Uh, when we were rehearsing for that album, Crash and Burn, uh, we, we had a rehearsal studio in North Miami. And, uh, it, it was two o'clock was, you know, uh, meet me at two. So, but I wasn't upset if somebody wasn't there right at two. Cause I had, I had my four track tape machine and I was yeah. making demos busy, busy there. <laughs> so Pat Thrall wasn't there at three and he wasn't there at four. And now I'm starting <laughs> to get a little, you know, pre cell phone. There's no, I have yes. no idea where he is or what he's doing. Around five o'clock, the big studio door gets kicked open. And here comes PT with his girlfriend. And they're just like a, a little legless, you know. And I went, PT, what have you been doing? And he went, snorting whiskey and drinking cocaine. <laughs> and uh, I already had that guitar riff. I would sort of been working on it. And I just put the two together in about 11 minutes. I had that song. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That just goes to show you the stuff that you put all your effort into for two or three weeks. Everybody goes, yeah, that's okay. But something that just, you know, fell in your lap. Yeah. Yeah. And they go, oh, that's great. And you go, damn, how can I do that again? (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing is, and that's experience too, is you have to be receptive to something, you know, and use it. So I guess that's how that works. Indeed, indeed. And um, if you don't mind, just uh, one more question about um, a tour that you did with Rainbow. I mean, it was a pretty yeah. big tour and Rainbow, obviously huge, Richie Blackmore and everything like that, Joe Lynn and things, and Roger Glover and everyone else. I mean, what do you remember of that tour with those guys? Well, Richie, of course, is just amazing i mean do yourself a favor and go back (laughs) on youtube and and look for some of those shows they did in the early 70s yeah he's just i saw him live in montreal in 1972 and wow did he impress me he was just so cool and kind of aloof but not really and every time he use the whammy bar, the guitar would go out of tune. So he'd just throw it up over his head. And there was a catcher who caught it. And then another guy who ran over and put a new guitar on. And it happened in a split second. I was like, that's freaking awesome. He just whip. Here comes the catcher. And here comes the other guy. And uh, we got along great. I mean, he could be difficult. But there you go. For the most part, we got along great and, and had 
maybe a slightly different uh, relationship because I, I don't know. He was super cool with me. And, uh, and Roger, Roger Glover, I, I just love to death, you know, yeah. we just did a cruise uh, earlier in the year oh, with yes. purple. And yeah. uh, unfortunately they got COVID as soon as they got on the boats. They only did one ship. Yeah, it sucked. But yeah, I love those guys, uh, Purple. And, and then, of course, uh, all the guys in Rainbow were a ton of fun. It was a cool tour, you know. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time, Pat. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And again, I urge everyone to get out there and get a hold of The Art of Time Travel, your brand new album. Okay, we got to do this again. Okay, I really enjoyed chatting with you. and. Boy, I really hope that we can do some kind of touring in the UK again. Yes, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. All right, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. The wonderful Pat Travers there. Check out the new album, The Art of Time Travel. It's a fun album, especially if you like nice, big, rocking blues riffs like I do. Right then, on to this week's top fives, and it's of course going to be the Pat Travers Band. Last week's top five Jefferson Starship songs list was roundly agreed on, which makes a change. Joe Kay's top five was pretty much the same as mine, except for he included Winds of Change rather than St. Charles, as I had done. Uh, While Nicholas Boyack said Miracles was his number one, which was a view which was also shared by Tracy Morton. Well, let's see how we get on with the Pat Travers material then. So this is the top five Pat Travers songs according... Of Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a song that introduced us to those big, beefy rock licks that he specialises in. It's the opening track on his debut album, Pat Travers, from 1976. And number five is Stop and Smile. Four is the track that catapulted him into the spotlight, the surprising hit, a Stan Lewis cover. It originally also appeared on his debut album, but the version that's best known is the one from his killer live album, Go For What You Know. And number four is the big fun energy of Boom Boom, I'll Go The Lights. At three is a song written about his time coming to the UK. It's a blistering track with some searing guitar work, and it appears on his third album, 1977's Putting It Straight. At number three is Life in London. And number two is a song with a killer guitar solo outro. Its chorus is a great hook and, as you'd expect, displays his tremendous guitar work. From his second studio album, the title track, in fact. And number two is Making Magic. And at number one is a badass song and one of his signature tunes. Its dirty, bluesy sound, fantastic guitars, gutsy lyrics and vocals make it an all-round classic. From the 1980 album Crash and Burn, the number one Pat Travers song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is Snortin' Whiskey. I'm a fast-moving baby. I can show you around. I've got so much coming. 
And there you go, my top five songs from Pat Travers. Remember, it's my personal choice, highly subjective. I don't expect it to be the definitive list, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it nonetheless. Email me, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, or you can find me on the social media channels. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on all the usual sites, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that sort of thing, and you'll find me on there. Come say hello, let me know your selections, and you too will get a mention on next week's show. Well, not you two, the band, but you too. You know what I mean. Anyway, that's it for this week's big interview program then. I've got a brilliant guest lined up for next week's. I can safely assure you of that, so don't miss it. And don't miss the daily This Day Rocks episodes as well. They're really short, just kind of five minutes maximum. Really, really nice and compact so you can fit them into your daily routine. Whether it's listening to them over your morning coffee, your commute, whether you're brushing your teeth at night and you fancy listening to some classic rock content, you can fit This Day Rocks in anywhere you go. Please do give them all a listen. Well, a big thanks again for tuning into this show. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.